Today, we are continuing with our series on hope. And I want to take us, I want to start us in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. So follow along with me on the screen. It said, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Uh, uh, hmm, the Pharisees got together. <laughs> and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Matthew picks the story. He picks the story up where the previous one ended. The Sadducees had tried to trap the Lord. Uh, they were a religious party that only acknowledged the first five books of the Old Testament. They disregarded the rest. They said the first five books were, were the ones that, that were true. The rest of it was nonsense. And so they were, they were asking Jesus these questions, and he silences the, their questions with his responses. He, he's able to, to deal with anything that they ask him. And so the Pharisees are gathering together, making their game plan, okay? They're thinking, well, the Sadducees lost we're going to come up with a question that's going to just totally, it's going to be the hardest question he's ever known. We're going to trap him and, and, and that we're going to do this. And what's interesting about the Pharisees is they, they actually uh, believed the whole Old Testament, but they believed it so much that they added to it. They expanded on it. And so the Pharisees actually um, surrounded God's law with 613 additional rules and regulations of their own. They referred to these additional rules as the fence around the law, the rules about the rules. That would have drove me bananas, <laughs> right? Rules are enough. Then you make the rules that go around the rules, you know? You feel like you're, you're trying to step around everything just carefully so you don't hit the trip line. And so these rules were actually designed to keep anyone from crossing any lines that might form, result in any form of disobedience. And so... Some of the Pharisees taught that there were 248 positive statements of what someone should do, which is actually the same number of parts of the human body, it was what they believed then, and 365 negative statements of what someone should not do. What's also 365 days of the year, right? So they're going to give you one rule a day every day of the year to make sure that you don't do it. And so altogether, this made a total of 613. And those 613 precepts made up the law of God, and they touched on every conceivable area of life. Some of them were thought to be very, very critical. Some of them were thought to be very, very minor. But it would be natural that these Pharisees would, would spend time, and they would have a lot of arguments about uh, which of these laws are the greatest. It's almost as if they had um, their favorites. <laughs> well, my favorite is don't commit adultery. You know, they have like these favorite rules. Probably was the one that they had the easiest time keeping. And so they naturally wanted to just systemize this. And so the Pharisees get together. They come to Jesus. And this is the question they ask. Verse 35. What's the greatest commandment? And in my mind's eye, I can sort of picture these Pharisees kind of leaning into one another, about to say, I told you so, to whoever, whoever law that Jesus chooses, hoping that their favorite rule is the one Jesus also finds his favorite. You know, they're huddling up together. 
And honestly, they probably assumed that he would pick, you know, maybe from one of the Big Ten, because that's what they've been learning. Maybe he would pick the first of the Big Ten, because you say the most important thing first, which is uh, Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall know have other gods before me. It's a pretty big one. But Jesus doesn't quote that commandment. He doesn't quote any of the commandments. In fact, he destroys the paradigm of these law-keeping Pharisees. He doesn't pick even one of the 613 that they have to offer. He doesn't even come close to that. He says, it's not simply enough to have one true God. It's not simply enough to know that there is only one true God or to tell other people about there's one true God. The chief command is to love the true God. The chief command is to love the true God. And in this moment, Jesus has this opportunity to show the Pharisees the very heart of God, the very heart of the Father. He clearly shows him that God is not interested most in the legalism of following the rules. God is not interested most in keeping track of the ones that you've done well and the ones you haven't done well. God is interested most in that we love him. Now the scripture says out of that love comes obedience. Yeah, out of that love. But God doesn't just want us to follow the rules. He wants us to love him. That is the biggest thing. That is the the point of this whole relationship with him. And I believe that God doesn't just want us to love him, but God wants us to love loving him. God wants us to love loving him. Do, Do you love loving God? Is it your greatest delight? Is it the joy in your life to show God ways that you love him? How well do you feel that you express your love for Jesus? How effective are you? Does he know that you love him? Does he, do other people know you love him? Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Jesus is saying that these rule-obsessed Pharisees, that that loving God isn't supposed to be hard, isn't supposed to be drudging. It's supposed to be joy-producing and life-giving. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's interesting because the Apostle Paul prayed this over the Ephesians I want to read to you Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. He's praying over the Ephesians. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul is saying, I want the Ephesians to see and know more glory so that they will experience more joy in loving God. And that more glory and more of getting to see who God really is produces more joy in loving him. And not only did Paul pray that for the Ephesians, I believe that that's God's desire for us. He wants us to have more strength and large capacities to know Christ's love more and to know more of his fullness. And so today, as we just continue our series, this Get Your Hopes Up series, 
And we're looking at this idea of hope, which, which is under our core value of life change, and life change is, is important to us, is that specifically we're looking at when God commands us to love him above all else, that that brings us into alignment with this indescribable, unquenchable hope and this life change. And so today the takeaway is this. It's actually a prayer this morning. I want us to pray together, and I want you to take it with you this week, throughout your week, and it, it says this, God, enlarge my capacity to love you. God, enlarge my capacity to love you. Not, God, help me follow all the rules. God, enlarge my capacity to love you because out of my love for you will come this, this obedience, will come this hope, will come this ability to love and be aligned with what you have for us. So what does that look like? What does loving God above all else look like as Jesus commands us? Well, I believe he says in this passage, it's, it's no half-hearted experience. Um, in fact, he says that God wants us to love him with, with all of us. So let's just look a little closer. You might know this scripture. It says, love the Lord with all your heart. So meaning God is, is exclusively first place in our affections. We need to love and like God best. Uh, in fact, in um, Matthew 10, Jesus says, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a tall order. But Jesus sets that expectation. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love and like him best above all things. The second is love the Lord with all your soul. Now, our soul is actually the inner seat of our life. It, it actually means our self, our soul is our self, and we all love ourselves, whether we think we do or not, we make choices and decisions constantly and naturally to serve ourselves, and Jesus is saying here, love God more than you love yourself. So when you want to do something, when you have a desire, love God more to do what God desires than what you desire. In Romans 12, 1, it asks us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, meaning we don't live at all for ourselves. So loving the Lord with all our heart, loving the Lord with all our soul, and then the third is love the Lord with all your, I like the, it's getting less. It's, ready? Yes, good job. Okay, love the Lord with all your mind. Now, the mind um, is the center of our intellect. It's the center of our beliefs and our convictions. And it's interesting because it's, um, one of the most private parts of our being, I don't know if any of you guys do this, maybe I'm weird, but do you ever look at people in a public place and think, what are they thinking about? Do you ever think that? Anyone ever? Okay. Uh, what are they thinking about? And we don't know. We'll never know. Sometimes they mumble something out. That's what happens. I talk to myself and the people are like, oh, she's crazy. I'm like, moms, we talk to ourselves. Forget to be, it happens. With every kid, it gets worse, I'm pretty sure. Um, but your mind, what goes on in your mind, no one can know. No one is accessible to that unless you say it out loud, unless you share your thoughts. Our outside life and our inside life need to love God. So that means the things that are going on in your mind, you can be all full out loving God on the outside, worshiping in church, doing everything you need to do, telling everybody, hallelujah, praise God, it's a good day. And in here can be ugly. And so this is what 
the scripture is saying, love the Lord with all your heart, love the Lord with all your soul, and love the Lord with all your mind. Love God with all of our brains, with all of our reasoning, not just with actions or feelings, but mentally and intellectually choose to love God. I love King David. He prayed in Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Everything that's going on inside of me, God help it love you. Now in Mark's version of this, this particular moment in scripture, Jesus also adds to love God with all our strength, with all our body, with all our actions. As much as we have inside of us, we love God with all of that. And so what, what Jesus is saying is that we are to love him with the totality of our being, with everything that we are, with all that we have, with everything inside of us. Dallas Willard is a famous theologian and author, and he said this, instead of counting Christians, we need to weigh them. Instead of counting Christians, we need to weigh them. And what he meant by that is there is a weight, there is a, a depth to a human being who is serving God with all his heart and all her mind and all his soul and all her strength. And if that's the case, then we would weigh more spiritually every day, every year, that we would be heavy with the word that just saturated into us, that the spirit of God would be just filling us to the brim, that, that our heart would be enlarged with the capacity to love God more, that, that our soul would be filled with God's purposes, that we would be so full that, that heaven's scale would just be tipping because we would become so heavy with the purpose and the love of God. On heaven's scale, weighing more is so much better than weighing less. I love that system, <laughs> right? Let's just gain it. Where we get more, we, we, we get heavier, we get more saturated, we get deeper, we get stronger. More Holy Spirit donuts, just bring them on. Like, like we, <laughs> we are beginning to, to have this. And in fact, even in um, exercise, when you add muscle, right, the numbers on the scale go up. But that's because you're getting stronger. You're getting stronger. So that's what Dallas Willard means. He means loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength doesn't mean you're, you're just showing up. It means you're getting heavier. You're getting weightier. And Galatians 4.19 references that Christ forms in us. That Christ forms in us. And as Christ is forming in us, as we're getting stronger, we're loving God more. It's interesting how the Ten Commandments are linked to the greatest commandment. You may have not looked at this before, but the first four of the Ten Commandments um, talk about our relationship with God. So if you truly love him with all your being, you will never allow any other God to occupy the first place in your heart. So that's taken care of number one. If you truly love him with all your being, you'll never create an image that reduces him in some way or bow down to something else to worship him. If you truly love him with all your being, you'll honor and reverence him and never use his name in vain or a blasphemous way. If you truly love him with all your being, you'll give due attention to him on the sacred day of rest. You'll want to spend time with God. If you love someone, you want to spend time with them. And so when Jesus said that loving God above all else, that actually takes care of these four commandments in one swoop. That, that summarizes them. 
And then you have the other, the other six. And Jesus told us that the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you think about that, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to honor your father and mother. You're not going to murder your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with him or her. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to bear false witness against them because you love them. And you're going to be content with what God entrusted you. And you're going to not envy what God has entrusted them. And so these two commandments encompass all the original ten and more. And what they're saying is that Christ is forming in us and God needs to enlarge our capacity to love him. I want to challenge you, if, if you're struggling with breaking one or more of these commandments, instead of praying, God, please help me stop being jealous. I don't want to be jealous anymore. I really don't want to be jealous anymore. Please help me stop being jealous. Pray this. God, would you enlarge my capacity to love you? Would you enlarge my capacity to love you? Because when I love you more, that will edge out all of those other things. Or, or maybe um, instead, of, instead of praying, God, help me read your word. Uh, help me get up and go to church on Sunday. Help me, help me just follow the rules because I really want to be a good Christian. Instead of praying that, pray this. God, enlarge my capacity to love you. Enlarge my capacity to love you. Because then when you start loving God more, the rest of these things start coming into alignment. And if you're not going through the back door, you don't get caught up in following all the rules. Then you don't begin to think of yourself as a better person or a worse person if you're following the rules or if you're not. Because it actually has nothing to do with that. The greatest commandment is if you love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. It puts a whole new goal, I believe, in following Jesus. I'm going to end with this analogy. This is called a trellis. You put these in gardens, um, and, and oftentimes you, uh, there's also a lot, in Northeast, there's a lot of grape kind of grape vines that they build certain, the trellises look a little different for that. But, but the idea is that um, it enables a vine to get off the ground and grow in a different direction. Because a vine, if it doesn't have a trellis or it doesn't have a framework, it, it would grow on the ground horizontally and it would get, get crushed by animals or drowned out by the rain or wouldn't be able to survive very long. But when a vine grows upward, it's more fruitful. It's more productive. It's able to, to produce more things. So in the same way that the trellis helps the vine grow. It gives it, it, gives it guidance. It, it wraps itself around so that it can never just fall off. It, it begins to, to, to just become part of the trellis all the way around it until it goes up. So in that same way, the trellis helps the vine grow upward. Living a life in Christ, loving him above all else, makes us more fruitful spiritually. It allows us to get up off the ground it allows us to have th these experiences and moments and ability to help other people in ways that we would never have if we lived our lives just, just all by ourselves. And so being wrapped around and embedded on the trellis is a lot like the greatest commandment to love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul in every single way gets so wrapped up in the purposes and the person of who God is that there is nothing that's going to pull you off that very easily. 
and we remember that he is the source of our life. That without a framework, without a, a trellis, without a guideline, we cannot go upward. We cannot be fruit, fruitful at all. That he is what bases our lives around, that he is what guides us. God, enlarge our capacity to love you. So we don't want to be vines on the ground. We want to grow upward. We want to be able to, to fulfill all of the things that you desire for us, like Jiva shared, to unlock all of those gifts that you have put in us. So would you stand and, and pray today? And would you actually keep your eyes open when I pray today, when you look at the trellis? I just want you to get a word picture for your life. So everyone go ahead and look at that, and let me just pray over you. Jesus, I come to you this morning, and I pray that as we um, just ask you to help us enlarge our capacity to love you, God, that we could love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, Lord God. And as we do that, we could fulfill all of the commandments that you gave us, Lord, but we could do it in a way that we're, we're totally motivated by love, by loving you. God, I thank you that you just give us this word picture of a, of a trellis, Lord, that, that as we just wrap our lives around you, God, as we hang on to you at every moment and, and get all wrapped up and embedded in your purposes and, and in who you are in us, Lord, and we make you above all else, Lord, that you would help us grow upward, that you would help us be fruitful, that you would give us the framework at which to base our lives around and God, I pray today that we could leave changed, that we could leave knowing that that is by faith we get to this point. And God, that, that you would help us even give us this word picture. Help us pray this week. God, enlarge our capacity to love you. God, enlarge our capacity to love you. And God, we know that you love to answer that prayer because your love for us is so reckless. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's so long. God, we give you praise and we thank you for what you're doing today. And it's in your name I pray, amen.